0: Thanks for listening to this
1: podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31.
0: Morning, church. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be using this the entirety of this chapter this morning as we uh, complete the second week of this What a God series. If you haven't been with us uh, recently, we did a series this fall called Liberated. And in this series, we looked at the rhythm by which God has liberated his people historically, going all the way back to the Israelites in Egypt, being freed through the wilderness. And we realized that there seems to be a pattern of what God does. When we listen to him, trust in who he is, and obey what he asks of us, or we even obey what he tells us not to do, and we trust him in that, that God brings a deliverance into our lives that we could never manufacture. God takes us out of situations we could never free ourselves from. And we wanted to follow that series with the series called What a God, looking at when life is hard and we're in those wilderness moments of our lives, what do we hold on to? What gets us through it? What do we need to know? What do we need to believe? What do we need to wrap our arms around and anchor ourselves to? And we realized that the, the answer to that question is the character of God. If we're going to listen to him and trust him, we need to know more about him. And maybe even possibly we don't spend enough time just boasting in the goodness of God and reminding ourselves what we can rely on, what can be trusted. So last week we talked about God the Father and use the illustration that Jesus gave in the story of the prodigal son and the father's response. And we talked about the goodness of the father. And what was amazing to me was the amount of responses that many of the leaders here at the church heard from you all that we may have struck a chord because reminding ourselves of the goodness of God is necessary and we don't do it enough. And don't be shamed by that, but be encouraged. You can remind yourself of the goodness of God every day and you should. And because of that, it fills our hearts and it gives us hope. We're going to be looking at this uh, first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now, there are many, many chapters today on this theme, God of Trust. I, I could have chosen so many, but I decided First Corinthians worked because of what it does to remind me of the character of God and how God's impetus is my hope. How God is never not reaching out to each one of us. And If you look at Paul's letters, Paul wrote 13 pieces of your New Testament, and they're either to churches or individuals. And Paul has this rhythm to his writing that at the very beginning, he identifies who he is in God. And then he identifies or calls us to get our identity from God. It's it's reoccurring. Paul says, This is who I am in Christ through the mercy of God, and this is who you can be through Christ in the mercy of God. Once again, bringing everything together around this point. Everything in life is truly significant or found to be insignificant relative to God. That's kind of a weighty sentence, but I'll just state it this way. Everything in life will be evaluated in relationship to God and nothing else. And only those things that can stand before God as worthy will be worthy. And those things that cannot stand before the truth of God will crumble and fall like false idols. And so when we look at what we're going to be looking at today, Paul is giving us identity. Look at verse, the first three verses of chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sophanes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul knows who he is. He's an apostle. An apostle is one sent with a message. He's been commissioned by God. Why? Because he was a special speaker? No. Because he had great talent and mental abilities? Absolutely not. Paul said, The reason I was sent? By the will of God. It was God's idea. It was God's choice. Had little to do with Paul himself and had more to do with what God would do with Paul. What was he to do? Speak the truth of God? Proclaimed Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, and Paul was faithful to do that because Paul knew that he was a man who had received mercy. He understood who he was. There is a tremendous stability that will come to any person who knows who they are in the eyes of God, a stability you can get nowhere else. In a world that says what you drive and where you live and what you wear and how you look and the shape of your body and your gender and all of these other issues is where your identity can be found, I'm here to tell you, you'll get no greater stability in life than when you know who you are in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of the magazines, not in the eyes of those that are aspiring toward power. Paul wants us all to know, if you know who you are, then you'll have less dissatisfaction, envy, anger, and insecurity. Because as we learned last week, our God is a father and our father loves us. Even when he disciplines us, he loves us. Even when he corrects us, he loves us. And he calls us in his love. You won't be destabilized by fads or trends or fashions. You don't have to worry about what other people think. Isn't it amazing how we spend so much time and energy caring about people who don't care about us? I mean, we care about their opinions. And our identity is shaken and we wonder who we are. And right now, the great debate in our society is, do I get to tell the world who I am or do you get to tell me who I am? And I'm here to say, no, let God tell you who you are. Because there is no person who listens carefully to the word of God through the gift of Jesus Christ who won't find themselves valued, loved, and cared for. So I'm going to make a statement that we preachers like to make, a very basic statement. I don't think anybody disagrees with it. And here's where we start. God has proven himself faithful in Jesus. God has. And if you haven't noticed, this is where our trust begins. It begins in a God who demonstrated his faithfulness through his son. So Paul mentions this in verse 2 when he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, the word sanctification is not a word I hear anywhere else but in the church world. And so, uh, I hope not to insult your intelligence, but for some, you may not understand what that term means. That's just a churchy word, and how does it fit? Here's what it means. The increasing uh, holiness and Christ-likeness we take on as we walk with God. It is a process by which God brings holiness into us and takes out the darkness, and how we become more like Jesus as he sanctifies us in his truth and who he is. Now, Because of that, and the way I was taught that, that sanctification is an ongoing process, what's interesting is when I realized that Paul actually uses past tense here. Paul says that we were sanctified. It was done. It was completed. So is this wrong? How can you have one that's ongoing and one that's completed? And I want you to see that Paul isn't, uh, he's not complicating this. He's actually going to express something in verse 2 that I want us to see and I want us to hold on to. You see, God took a decisive action. And when God took that decisive action, it was enough. I believe that's what Paul means when he says, we were sanctified. He gave us everything we need to do everything he asks and to become everything we're supposed to in Jesus. When Jesus arrived and brought the ministry of the new kingdom into this world and fulfilled all the prophecies in himself, he sanctified God's plan. This is the past tense part. We have everything we need in Jesus, amen? I would think in a church, that might have got a different response. <laughs> now, if I was at the city hall, that was okay. You see, here's what I want us to understand, that Paul is telling you, your identity is not in you. Your identity is not in what you accomplish or how you look. Your identity is in what Jesus has done for you. Then you know who you are. Chapter six, verse nine, of the same letter, Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is the truth. And then he lists a a, a beginning, it's not complete, a litany of those circumstances where people are trying to find their identity in other places, Verse 11, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This was done. This was completed. In Jesus, it is all present for you. I want you to notice that Paul is making this grand point that needs to be made. We did not negotiate this with God. We did not run to God and said, my life feels empty, man. Could we try this for a little while and see if this works? And God's like, yeah, sweet. Let's try this. See if it helps. No, God from the beginning of time knew what he was going to do. He knew how he was going to bring this all together. We had no voice in it. We had no vote in it. God's kingdom is not a democracy. It's a theocracy and when the king talks, it's right. And so Paul is saying that God brought this all together. So how can sanctification be a decisive moment in time and yet still an ongoing process? It's this way. See, God didn't miss the target. Verse two. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God decisively responded to our need. He brought us Jesus, and everything we need is in Christ. We then must decisively choose to call on him. The difference is what God did is complete, and what we are doing is incomplete. We are to remain faithful. You see, our calling on God is not a historic moment. September 29th, 1974, I publicly called on Jesus to be my Lord and King. I gave myself to be washed in the blood of Christ. That was a historic moment in time in which God's promises were accepted and received in covenant with him. Yet I am called by scripture to continue every day to live my life being sanctified are you with me church nod your head if you fell asleep I'll think you'll agree all right there you are so when we see this going forward here's what I want you to hold on to God took a decisive act and we must take a decisive act and our decisive act is a daily decisive act it's not a one time in history some of you are getting nervous like wait a second so I have to be good now to stay saved no no you just have to continue to live out your salvation To call on the name of the Lord for protection, for guidance, for protection more and more every day so that God might speak words of truth to you, that God might strengthen you, that you are not complete in who you are, but you become more Christ-like every day. The reason we as a church, Teresa talked about it, the reason we as a church say that our goal is to find, to help all of God's people find their completeness in Jesus Christ comes right out of Ephesians chapter 4. This is the purpose of the church to help you in the ongoing sanctifying work of God by holding firmly to who God is and what he's done in Jesus. So God's called you out of darkness into light. And every day we call from the darkness to God to continue to deliver us and strengthen us and shape us and mold us. It is a real experiential part of life. It's not a theory. It's not a theological term. It's what it means to live. Some people call it being born again. Being saved, being converted, becoming a new creature, receiving Jesus, all of those answers pass the exam. As long as it is this concept of us living daily in the goodness of our God and pursuing Him by calling out to Him every moment of our lives. So if God is calling us out of darkness, what's the call to? And I think this is a mistaken notion that I don't want to assume everyone's mistaken, but I I think in American culture, this has become so normative that it has to be called out. What is the calling of God to? For many in America, and you don't find this, and I haven't sampled the entire world, but I've talked to preachers who preach in Japan and in India and in South America and around the world, and they'll tell you that around the world, they don't have this attitude that American Christians have. That we think being saved means hold your breath, hold on tight until you die. And that is not experienced across the globe. Maybe it's because we don't have to pray, give us today our daily bread. We have pantries and freezers that have already accomplished that. But in parts of the world where there's poverty and people have to awaken every day awaiting the faithfulness of God or they die, they get this. They don't think that the kingdom of God is a one day when I die in the clouds. They believe it's an everyday experience of Understanding and sensing the compassion and goodness of God our Father. In other words, most in the world know you can trust God because they actually trust God. And needing to do that makes a difference. I believe that's why so many Americans, discipleship is unsatisfying. Because if all you're doing is waiting for years and years and years from now, it's hard to be motivated today to have any need to trust God. So what is God calling us to if that's not it? He's calling us in verse nine, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's not calling you in to hold your breath and do good and don't mess up and have more wins and losses so that when you die, you get to go to a happy place with angels and wings and harps. He's actually saying, no, I'm calling you into a fellowship with Jesus today, right now. This is where it all comes together. This is where we find our completeness in Jesus. Is not by waiting for him to do something in the future, but actually living in the trusting moments with him right now. To understand, this is what we mean when we say around here, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to remind yourself of this, that Jesus, the son of the living God, came to earth and walked among us. And he gave his life for us. He traded his perfect holiness for our imperfection. He covered us in his holiness by sacrificing his life. And like the Passover lamb of of old, he became the great Passover lamb whose blood cleanses us from all sin. Why? So that we could rejoin in fellowship with God the Father who welcomes us home as prodigals returning and runs and embraces us and brings us into the home. And not only that, but he brings us the Holy Spirit to guide us every day, to teach us what is right and wrong, to show us the truth, to encourage our hearts and help us encourage others on the journey. This is what I mean when I say we need to preach the gospel. Verse 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, assembling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to enjoy the power of God and the wisdom of God through Jesus, to experience all of it. I get a little bit nervous when I say words like preach the gospel because for some of us, it wasn't bad. It taught us scripture, but for some of us, we were raised in the fire and brimstone kind of preaching, right, where every week you wondered if you were on the team or not. Every week there was an invitation to, to if you had messed up and stubbed your toe 10 o'clock last night and you said that word that you needed to come forward and repent, and you always wondered, am I in or am I out? I'm not making fun of that, but that creates a tension in us. So when I say to some of you, preach the gospel to yourself, you feel like you have to shame yourself for 20 minutes and then say, but God is good. No. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is you are loved in spite of yourself. And he deserves your all. He deserves your worship. He deserves your priority. He deserves your time, your effort, and your attention. Can I have an amen on that? That's the gospel you preach to yourself. It is the goodness of God shown through Jesus Christ that you and I may walk away from shame. Because the gospel does not shame you. The gospel calls you out of shame. There's no person I've ever met who has ever fought against their sin like, I haven't done it. Most people I talk to look back on their lives and they're like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to relive that. The good old days weren't good. So the gospel does not shame us. It draws us out of shame. And calls us to something greater and something more beautiful. That's why I can say to you as a pastor, you ought to awaken every morning and you ought to go to bed every night reminding yourself who you are in the eyes of God. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. That's how you hold on. It's more than just behavior. I've got to live better. No, because of Jesus Christ, I have a reason to live better. I have a reason to forsake all of this, to give up the intoxication of sin, to give up the hangovers that come with it, to quit hiding parts of my life that nobody will ever know because I know I'm doing it, but I just don't want anybody to know you're doing it. And isn't it true, if you have to keep it a secret, you've already convicted yourself? You've already admitted you shouldn't. That's why you don't want anybody to know. But the gospel frees you from that The gospel allows you to confess your sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, the call of God is a personal experience into a relationship you can trust. So, what difference does this make? What difference is this trusting God that you can trust God? You see, the the reality of today is it's not whether you can trust God, it's will you trust God? Will you trust the God who's proven trustworthy? Look with me at verse 26. We're going to just look at the first sentence. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. This is what it means to preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself where you've been, remind yourself where you are, and ask yourself where am I going? Who am I following? Who am I trusting? How am I walking in faith? You see, I'd love right now to go, now go home. We're done. Go get your kids, get in your cars. You have a homework assignment. On the week of Thanksgiving, what a perfect timed thought. Let's spend this week, brothers and sisters, thinking of what we were when we were called. But I don't have that much control, so we're going to continue on. All right, next verse. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That touches the ego, right? Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God did not build his kingdom on power and authority and prestige. God took broken things and fixed the world. That's what Paul wants you to hear. God chose the lowly things of the world and despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you were in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us the wisdom from God? that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So here's what we just heard. Do you want to preach a gospel to yourself? Spend some time in 1 Corinthians, verse 26 to 31. First chapter, 26 to 31. Memorize this passage. Remind yourself that God reached out to a broken part of his world and he called that brokenness into healing and into life and into health and strength for the purpose of letting the world know what Jesus can do with them too. Our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. And then he says, and if you're going to brag about where you are, remember how you got there. Remember who delivered you when you weren't even on the same team who fixed what you broke. See, the gospel does not shame us. The gospel identifies our reality and calls us into something greater. And I love verse 29. So that no one may boast before him. Now, I'm parsing words here, but if you pay attention, what Paul said is so that no one in the presence of God would boast which means we get to be in the presence of God. We're the prodigals who have come home. We've been welcomed back into the house when we should be slaves. We're now children. You are the daughter and you are the son of a king and he doesn't even pretend that your past didn't happen. He simply says, I don't care about your past. I've taken care of it through Jesus. Put on the crown, put on the robe, put the ring back on, your home. Shouldn't we celebrate we're home? We should celebrate every day we're home. This is what Paul tells us later in that same letter in the 15th chapter. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Notice that you have to make a decisive choice to take a stand. This isn't something that just happens without you choosing as He chose. By the gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. If you hold firmly, it happens, right? We go to a retreat, we go to a camp go to a conference, we have mountaintop experiences where we feel real close to God, we get really energetic, and then we come back into our regular world, we go back to work, we go back to family, we go back to the home, we go back to habits that we've forgotten we even chose. They just become our defaults. Are you with me? How long does the high of those mountaintop experiences last? They last only as long as you continue to to preach the same gospel to your heart that got you there. If the gospel that inspires you on the mountaintop is not taken with you into the valley, you will soon forget it and you will fall back. We all do, don't we? You fall back in the rhythms and the habits that take the gospel and make it meaningless and make the things of the world that are meaningless seem powerful. Paul said, hold firmly to the gospel. Hold tight to the trust that he deserves. He even says to the people in Colossians, Or Colossae, rather, in chapter 1, he says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Preach that gospel to your heart. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, if you hold to the gospel and do not move from its truth, you will experience something that few do. Jesus would even tell his disciples in Mark 13, those who endure to the end will be saved. God took a decisive act in Jesus. We must make a decisive act every day to hold on to the gospel because God's commitment is to keep us believing. It is God's commitment to not abandon us. Remembering where we were and what he's done it allows us to trust that he remains. What did he tell the Israelites throughout the whole Liberated series? Remember he kept saying, wasn't I the God who brought you out of Egypt? Wasn't I the God who took you to the Red Sea? Wasn't I the God that delivered you to the wilderness? Did I not provide manna for you? And did I not give water out of rocks? Did I not have a cloud and fire that led you? Did I not defeat your enemies when you didn't even draw a weapon? And the, and the crowd's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we begin to wonder, but will you be there tomorrow? Guy's like, have I ever not been there tomorrow? Have I ever been unfaithful to you? Church, can we trust him? Verse 4 of chapter 1. I always thank my God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse five with me. He wants to enrich us. Will you let him? I don't say that to make you feel bad. I'm asking you the real question. Part of the reasons our, our faith becomes lethargic, part of the reasons that it becomes unsatisfying is we don't open ourselves up to what God wants to bring us. Are you opening the word of God in the community of friendship Are you having conversations? Are you talking to God in prayer? Even if it's a prayer of a child reaching out to say, God, are you there? He will enrich us with many things. Verse six, He will confirm the testimony about Jesus. He will prove that Jesus is who the scriptures say He is. He will demonstrate this to us. Are you listening, trusting, and obeying? Verse seven, He will supply us with gifting. You yourself are not gifted enough to endure. But in a community of faith filled with the Holy Spirit, together we are. Church, together we are. Now, there are some who are at home, and they cannot attend, and they're watching online, and we're grateful to do that, but there are many who are sitting back, and they're not engaged in community, and I am cautioning you, that is not the church, that is not the intention of the church, and neither is the church coming here to hear a sermon. The church is what takes place in the hallways and in between the services, and when we rely on each other, do you have community? Because if you do, God will use the gifting of others to bless you, and your gifting to bless them, and that's the community this world needs verse 8 he will keep us firm to the end you see the assurance of a believer is that is not that god will save you if you stop believing the assurance of a believer is that god in relationship with you will keep you believing god will supply all of your needs god will speak words of truth god will walk with you in the mountaintops and in the valleys Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you trust that? God will not keep the unbelieving person against their will, but God will keep your belief alive as you walk with him in fellowship with his son. It's his promise. Verse nine, one more time. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. The fellowship of Jesus is faithful. God has chosen you, and called you out of darkness into light. And his, the light of Jesus Christ will keep you in the light, walking for the Father. He has destined us for glory. His faithfulness can be trusted. Outside of faith in the gospel, there is no fellowship with God. And if there is no fellowship with God, there is no strength. Preach the gospel to your heart this Thanksgiving. As Teresa said earlier, be grateful for what he's offered us. I'd like to engage your head, your heart, and your hands. We do this often around here because I think there's something about the way the Spirit works in us that one of these will fit you today. One of these will be just what you need. For those of you, here's what I want you to think about. Great is His faithfulness. Ask yourself this question Has He ever abandoned you? Has He ever neglected you? Has He ever not been for you? For your hearts, I want you to imagine the cost of the cross. I want you to preach the sacrificial love that took him there. Spend some time in the word of God looking at what he endured and what he suffered for so that you and I could know that the gospel is real and God can be trusted. Imagine the joy of the disciples in the upper room locked away for fear when Jesus walked through a wall and appeared before them. Imagine the joy in Thomas' heart when his doubt was proven wrong. And Jesus said, Thomas, touch my hands. Thomas is like, I'm good. (laughs) Because that's real. Spend some time with your heart, opening yourself up to what the scripture and the testimony of scripture teaches and allow that to wash over you and hold you. That there's nothing this world can offer you greater than that. For your hands, live each day in the persevering faith. Live each day calling out to God. Each day choosing to take a definitive moment to say you are my god and i am your child listen to the words of philippians chapter one for he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it through christ jesus god started this god will finish it stay with him as a father i had moments where my boys when they were younger and they liked me there was a cool moment I'd be leaving the house and they'd be like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm gonna go here. And they would say, can I go with you? Oh, absolutely. Because not only do you wanna come with me, but now we're getting ice cream. This is gonna be a good day. <laughs> and if a, a weird dad like me has that sensation of a child wanting to be with their dad and, and how we're gonna make the best of those moments, can you hear the heart of your Godfather saying to you, come with me? And you're like, Can I go with you on Monday? Yeah, you can always come with me. But go with God. Don't ask God to go with you. Stay in fellowship with him and walk with him. Remember where you've been. Remember what he's done. And remember what he's promised to do. The back of the room are two tables with lamps lit on those. Just a few moments, some of our staff and volunteers will be going back there. Maybe you want to be prayed with today. Maybe holding on to your faith is difficult. Maybe your faith is childlike and it needs to go beyond that to get off of milk and enter into meat. Maybe you want to know what are some of the things you'd have me read or experiences you'd allow me to have. What is the next step on my pathway? We would love to direct you to the Pathway Center for that. Maybe you want to pray for a friend or a loved one who doesn't value Jesus and your heart aches that they might. Or maybe today's the day and for the very first time in your life, you trust Jesus Christ to take his blood and wash you clean. Maybe today's the day you become a follower. And God says, I'm going. Do you want to come? And maybe today's the day you say, I'd like to go. If you have any of those decisions and we can help you in any way, go to the tables during this next time of musical worship or afterwards go out to the prayer center in the hallway. We're here to be together in Christ. If we can help you,